Welcome to the Bad Beat Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Eisenstadt. Today, uh, you know, we got a little treat. Nick the Wrangler is in the house today. Um, thank you for driving all the way down here, Nick. I know you just got back from a busy trip in Mexico. Um, and uh, for all of you guys joining in for your first time viewing, uh, normally this podcast is really about overcoming life struggles and... Um, <laughs> And, uh, yeah, just, just overcoming any kind of life struggles today, I wanted to throw a little kick on it. I brought my buddy Nick down. Uh, we've shared some amazing experiences. Uh, and if you guys do know who he is or don't know who he is, on Instagram he is Nick the Wrangler. He has some insane videos getting bit in the face by rattlesnakes and holding bats or whatever kind of snakes. Dude, I'm not the Wrangler. You are. <laughs> uh, getting bit by snakes, holding bats and Getting pizza eaten out of your mouth by, what emus, was that? It was an emu? And some tiger stuff. And some tigers, yeah. <laughs> uh, which we're going to get into a crazy story about some uh, some some tiger experiences that I was involved with. Wh- when was that? Oh, my goodness. I want to say... 2017? No, no, no. It was 2013, yeah. 2012. Anyways, we'll get it into it. It was a while ago. I want to say, like... 14 years ago, at yeah. least. It, it was a long time ago. I met Nick. Uh, I was I used to work as a tour guide for a uh, zipline company out in Boulder City, Nevada, uh, which was like the number one zipline, like the most extensive setup in North America. Uh, it was crazy. He ended up becoming a tour guide too, right? Right. And yeah. uh, we became friends, started hanging out, and it led to some crazy shit. Uh, so let's. I, I want to start back from the beginning. Um, before you moved to Vegas, where were you living? Before I moved to Vegas, I was in Los Angeles, California. Um, okay. Before th- Vegas, though, I was in Portland. That's where I grew up. Oh, really? That's where everything started was actually in Oregon. And right? you started doing the wrangling in Oregon? Or is a that like... A little bit of both. That's where the passion ignited. That's where I found the passion and the love for what I do right now. But there was a lot of life that happened there. That's because that's where I grew up. When was like the moment like like that aha moment of I'm going to be a... Is, like, a wrangler a profession? Like, is that, like, a, th- like, I don't know. I mean, a stripper could be a profession. A wrangler <laughs> definitely could be a profession. <laughs> uh, but Well, I mean, is that, like, an actual job? To- and if you guys didn't notice, we is. have animals on the, What? can you explain what we got on the table here? Yeah, real quick. Since he's nervous, he needs to take a breather. <laughs> Over here, closest <laughs> to him, we have a whip, whip scorpion. Um, They're tailless, so they don't have a stinger. They're just, like, cave-dwelling scorpions. Like, you remember Harry Potter, that, that whip scorpion that he was holding out, that's one of those. Then you have a versicolor or an Antilles peak toe. They're from South America. Super rad tarantula. It's actually young. But when they get older, they get I- explosive and vibrant colors. They're incredible. And hiding underneath this cork bark is this big, giant female, Lichianus. It's the, new, the largest gecko found in New Caledonia. And they are just super freaking cute. Look at that right there. It's crazy. Oh, yeah. And they are... They mainly eat fruits and vegetables. They'll also eat crickets and stuff like that. Like mine, I feed them like pinky mice like once a month and crickets and stuff like that. But predominantly, you can literally put baby food in front of them and survive off baby food. But we don't use baby food. There's some other stuff that you use that's a mix, but I'm going to just call it baby food right now. Right. Yeah. They're pretty rad, though. That's you want to hold her? Uh, sure. Dude, come on. She's probably going to like you better. Just support her body. Don't like Put your hand underneath her. Right underneath her. I'm, you've held lizards before. Really? We'll, okay. we'll just put that down. Yeah, there yeah. you go. Let, let's just let her go underneath. So, back to oh, that note. shit. <laughs> That's right. 
Thomas over here helping us out. Scales and Tails out here in Vegas. He brought some reptiles for us. Uh, really good friends with his wife and now really good friends with him now. So got to, you know. Yeah, shout out to Scales too. and Tails, dude. Heck Thank yeah. you for, uh, for, for bringing some awesome animals here. It's oh, yeah. crazy. And he has more. Yeah. So back to getting to the answer of where the passion began. Um, I grew up in Portland, Oregon. I was, I'm just going to use the word troubled in school. I, by the time I was nine years old, I got banned from going to the public school in the whole entire state of Oregon by the time I was nine. Okay. So the trouble we got into, that wasn't the first time I've ever been in some trouble. Well, you didn't get in trouble. I got in trouble. Um, so I was homeschooled and I grew up in a house in the backyard. We had like 300 acres of woods, forests, ponds, creeks, you name it. And in that, in those habitats back there was a bunch of wildlife, uh, snails, slugs, salamanders, garter snakes, crawfish, everything was back there. That was my playground. And I would go back there and I would catch it. If it moved, I was catching it. So what I would do is I would do my homeschool and I figured out this plan to do all my homework in like three to four hours. So I had the whole day to myself. Everybody was at school and I was in the back just exploring. And there was a moment where I remember like I saw a garter snake for my first time. I had no idea if it was venomous or non-venomous and I'm in this backyard and I saw this garter snake and it took off into the super tall, skinny, little leaved, stocky plants. And I went running through this plant and I'm chasing the garter snake, and I was, like, monomionically focused on that snake. I didn't care what the heck I was running through. But as I'm chasing this snake down, my body just ignites in fire, okay? But turned out I was running through a forest of stinging nettles to chase this snake. Of what? Stinging nettles. What is that? So it's a plant that it literally, you touch it, has all these fibrous hairs all over them, all over their stalks, and if you touch it, you are on fire, and it leaves this excruciating welt and burning sensation all over your body. Oh, fuck. And it, it's a temporary pain, but as a child, it, wasn't, it didn't feel temporary. <laughs> it felt like I was on fire for like 10 hours, but it wasn't. But in that moment of time, the pain wasn't there because I was so focused on catching that snake. Like, my desire to catch that snake put me through or allowed me to put myself through a very painful moment, you know, and which is very like symbolic for the life that I've gone through, you know, and you're going to get to know that. So I'm going through this forest of stinging nettles. I'm chasing the snake and all I can see is this tail and I'm going as fast as I can. And I dove face first through these nettles and grabbed the snake. I'm holding it in my hand and it's crapping all over my hand and it's biting me. And I'm so excited and so happy, you know, and I walk out of the stinging nettles. I get out of it and I'm on fire, but the excitement and the joy as a little kid holding my first snake, I didn't even know if this thing was venomous. I didn't know what it was called, you know? But that excitement and joy that I had, like, it numbed all the pain in my body, you know? And it's definitely metaphor, metaphorical for, you know, the life that I live. And okay. I follow through with that. So I took that snake and I let it go at the creek in the, my backyard. And every day I'd go out and I'd catch these garter snakes. And I would catch them and bring them back to my yard. So when my mom wasn't letting me go adventure, explore out, all those snakes, I can see them on the banks of the creek hanging out, and I can recognize them and know them by name, like, in my backyard. So, like, that's where the passion came for snakes. That's where that reptile passion came from. Was that snake venomous? So garter snakes, there are a lot of species of garter snakes that they say aren't venomous. They do have a modified saliva. 
and their modified saliva, it has a neurotoxin in it. And so the garter snakes can actually chew this neurotoxin. It's used to, to you know, kill their prey, slugs, night crawlers, maybe frogs and tadpoles and stuff like that. But it, it will neutralize their prey. For us, it just causes, like, some itching and some welts and stuff like that. So, yeah, you can technically say they are venomous, but they, use them, they don't use injection to envenomate. They chew to envenomate. Hmm, interesting. Yeah. So you catch your first snake, mm-hmm. you're just on top of the fucking world. Oh, my goodness. I was on top of the world. But what kept me on top of the world was when I was, I was in the living room. Thomas can relate probably. Um, I was in the living room, and I'm watching TV, and I see this freaking white guy with an Australian accent and some khakis, and all I hear is, good day, mate. <laughs> this guy's picking up snakes and all this stuff. It turned out he's Steve Irwin, but at the time I didn't know who the heck he was. I just watched him. I loved him. I didn't know his name. You know, I knew he was the crocodile hunter. But Steve Irwin, I was too young to understand. Right. He was just this awesome, radical guy who went out and caught snakes and all other reptiles and wildlife. And that right there in that moment is when I decided, like, I want to be just like this guy. So what I did is I took a shoebox. I'm a kid. Imagination, you know. Imagination is still there now. But then imagination was, it, it, was, it was incredible. Because right. what I did is I took a shoebox and I took a Sharpie. And I drew a camera on the shoebox. And because I was homeschooled and I had no friends or no nothing, my imagination, I'd go out with a pillowcase and I would go out with a shoebox and I'd put the shoebox on rocks and in trees and stuff like that. And I would pretend that I was in front of the camera and I was Steve Irwin. <laughs> and until the moment where we're going to get to later in L.A., that shoebox eventually turned into a real camera. But we'll get to that later. But, yeah, that's where it all started for me, like that passion, that, that fire inside of my heart. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. I didn't know that. <laughs> you know it now. That's so cool. Uh, so I'm assuming, what was your first job? Did you, was your first job had to do anything with animals or no? No, it, it wasn't. Um, my first job, I was actually working at a place called Figaro's Pizza. I was 16 years old. First job. Um, wasn't committed. Hard-headed. Yeah. Didn't care. Um, so I ended this up just walking out and never even quit. Didn't do nothing. No call, no show forever. <laughs> You know? So this just started out as like a just a purely a hobby, and mm-hmm. now it's turned into a complete lifestyle. A straight lifestyle, passion, and it, yeah, it's just my life. And you've up. you've traveled a crazy amount of places, doing some crazy things with a bunch of different animals. Mm-hmm. You've shot music videos, right? If I'm not mistaken. Y- yeah, um, we won't get into it too much, but it will lead into a story that we're going to get to, which I know everybody's going to be dying to know because we've kind of been teasing them about it, but. Uh, my friend Taylor Randall, he's now working for Tyler Perry now, um, but we, he started and I joined right. Okay, a music video production company, and it came out to be one of the biggest music video production companies in Los Angeles. Justin Bieber, Chris Brown, Tyga, you name the artist, we were shooting them, Lady Gaga, we shot them all. You guys were bringing animals with you or? No, not oh, at all. Okay. So in the beginning, it started out as I need a job. Gotcha. So I started working in the film production world. Well, I'm one of those kind of guys that it doesn't matter what the heck I do. I'm going to put my all into it because I'm passionate about everything I do, especially when it's a form of art. And being behind camera and creating music video was a form of art for me. So um, Taylor and I, we're going everywhere. We're traveling around the, the not the, the country, but like Vegas, Oregon, California, you know, local stuff like that. You know, we're filming a lot of stuff. But I started getting money. 
And I was like, oh, nice. I got some change in my pocket. So I got an apartment, you know. Um, and then I started collecting my animals. Was this before or after you moved out here? To Vegas? Way yeah. before. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I, I just want to make sure we're staying on track on the timeline. Oh, well, yeah, I know we're bouncing around because you're asking questions, and <laughs> I, we'll jump back, which is great. I, I, I love going back and, you know, filling in the blanks. So yeah. we can definitely fill those blanks in. Um, I moved from Oregon at 18 years old to California. Okay. Um, if you want to get into that story, we can. I would love to tell it. I'm writing a book all about it. Go for it. <laughs> um, so at 18 years old, I decided, I came up with this wild idea. Um, I was doing parkour. You know parkour is, right? Yeah. Free running. Yeah, where you're jumping and doing flips and shit mm-hmm. off walls. So I started the parkour movement. I was one of the very few, maybe a total of three of us, started the parkour movement in Portland, Oregon. I brought parkour to Oregon. I was the second generation of parkour athletes. I was a professional parkour athlete. You know, it now it evolved in something incredible. But what was it, what happened is this. I got so good at parkour. And when I told you that I'm passionate about everything that I do, well, parkour is an art form of motion, and I'm extremely passionate about it. Still am. I just can't move like it, <laughs> you know? But at that time, I got to the point where I was the best that I could be in that moment, and I knew that I could be great. And there's a guy named Adam Dunlap who was extremely instrumental in my life. And Adam was like, Nick, there's this team out in L.A. called Tempest, and they're a Tempest free running comp- uh, team. And they're in, they're in L.A., they're doing movies, they're in music videos, they're doing commercials, they're, they're doing all the stunts for all these actors out there, you know, in movies. And they're like, he's like, you can get out there and you can be part of this team. So I sent them an email, or I think it was a message on Facebook or Instagram or something like this. Probably AOL back in the probably day. No, I'm just kidding. MySpace probably. <laughs> um, I sent them a message and one responded. And that response right there was my ticket to get there. I was like, okay, I'm going to go. What would you say to him? I don't remember. I just said, like, hey, man, I I do parkour. I'd I'd love to come train with you guys. Yeah, come out. If you're ever out here, come train with us. Well, in my brain, it's like, oh, yeah, come move here, and you can be on the team. (laughs) You know, that was the way my mind worked (laughs) at the time. So you just jumped. Oh, I jumped, and I jumped big. Straight leap of faith, big. I've never traveled. I never left Oregon before. I had no money. I was broke as broken get. And I scratched up $86 and some change, and I got a one-way Greyhound ticket to L.A. And I was scared shitless. I didn't know what I was doing, but I knew that I needed to get out of Oregon because I was in a, I was in a moment of life or death. And it wasn't the outside world killing me. It was me killing me. Yeah. You know, if I cry, I get emotional, apologize. I've lived a fucked up life and dealt with a lot of shitty trauma. Um, and I needed to get away. You know, parkour was my distraction from the life traumas, the childhood traumas, a lot of shit. Um, I've overdosed multiple times. My heart has stopped. I was shitty on drugs, addicted. You name it, I was a garbage can for it. Um, yeah, it, I lived a really intense lifestyle. See, you know what's crazy about that is, like, I've known you for probably at least 15 years, something like that, 16 years, never knew any of that shit. And it just goes to show that anybody that is in your life has probably gone through so many things that, you know, most of civilization or people in your circle or whatever don't realize the shit that you've gone through. Yeah. It's fucking crazy. Especially with social media, it's a facade. Oh, fuck, I know. I, the face of my Instagram, Nick the Wrangler, that's all it is. 
Yeah. Literally, that is my mask to hide the pain and the trauma and all the shit that I've been through, you know? And yeah. that's where I get my fire to fucking be the best I can be. Man, you got to stop getting emotional. You're going to get me emotional. Dude, I'm I'm, you don't understand, dude. <laughs> I'm very passionate. Yeah, no, and I, I love it. with a lot of shit, and you're actually catching me in the moment of my life where I'm now going back and I'm dissecting my life and dealing with those traumas right now. Mm. So you actually got me. If you got me two months ago, you wouldn't have gotten this version of me. You I know? mean, we're constantly adapting and, yeah, like, leveling up versions of ourselves. You know what I mean? Out, oh, yeah, like, 100%. Like, as, as humans and people, we're just we're constantly changing. Like I mean, I agree with you 100. percent If I would have, if I if we would have done this podcast two months ago, you would not be the same person that you are now because you've had two months of life experiences up until then to you know retrain your mind to think about different thoughts, whether it be trauma or blessings. It it I mean it it could have gone either way, right? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It so. definitely it definitely could have gone another way, and that way was always looking for a way out. Now I'm looking for a way back in. To my own life. Why? Be- just when you deal with traumas and you start, I'm not celebrity status, but I know, I realize that there's a point what I, with what I do that there's a lot of people who look up to me, a lot of people that are watching me, and I don't want them to see the fake me. I want them to see the real me. Mm. Like, if you notice on my Instagram, I'm starting to show what I really do behind the scenes. What I'm, like, I used to not even take pictures and post my food on my Instagram story. You know what I mean? Yeah. It was only animal-related Nobody knew what the heck I was doing with my life, you know? And I wanted to keep it that way because who I was was something I was someone I was not comfortable with, and I'm learning to be comfortable, comfortable with that person. And I feel like if people are going to look up to me and they are going to look up to me as a role model especially, they need to know who the fuck I am, you know? I don't want to be that fake person anymore, and I, I can't be that fake person anymore because there's going to be a point in my life Rest in peace, Robert Williams. Nobody knew what the hell he was going through. And I feel like if I lay it out on the table and people understand everything I'm going through, I might save my life one day. You know, mental health is becoming a huge deal, especially for a lot of men, because a lot of men don't talk about, like, the mental issues that we go through. You know what I mean? And yeah, we got pride. See, dude, it was, like, it was meant to be that you were on here. I mean, oh, that's yeah. literally everything this is about. Uh you know, uh, a lot of men. Uh, did you watch my last my last podcast with my buddy Iman? No, I didn't get to that. So one. he uh, he tried to commit suicide. Uh, he shot himself. Uh, self self inflicted oh, yes. gunshot wound. I did see that. And he survived. That's right. Uh, so you know now he's on an entire mission to you know help people through depression and and drugs or whatever it is, and you know we're we're trying to do some stuff together and it's 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 crazy because if you don't talk about that shit it just builds up it eats you away but everybody expects you know nowadays for men to just hold it in be tough go to fucking work pay the bills all that stuff you know it's it's times change for i'm not trying to sound like sexist or whatever it is but it's like times change for everybody right you know what i mean like uh if times are going to change for women when they think it's okay to claim themselves as you know whatever they want to i'm not judging anybody for anything but i mean guys shouldn't be held at such a high standard of oh you should be strong and uh hold in your feelings and it's like actually the most masculine thing you could do is actually talk about your feelings because it's really fucking hard to do all right so i'm gonna cry on the next line hold on (laughs) 
<laughs> it's true, man. It's true. I, it's I it's totally hard. Agree. Like I got a lot of respect for you. The thing that you just did, just opening up about some of the shit that you went through, or 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 admitting your hardships, is really fucking hard to do. Like it really is. Yeah, but guess what? It gets easier the more I open up and oh, talk yeah, about it. For sure. And it see, my story is no longer my story. Like, yes, it's something that I lived through, but my story is everybody else's story because there's a lot of people who can relate to that. And if I don't speak up, other people around will not learn from the story that I have to tell. Like, I didn't live this life to keep it to myself. I didn't struggle to keep it to myself. I didn't attempt suicide two times and survive and keep it to myself. You know, like... there's people out there that deserve a second chance and they can find their second chance through a story like ours. Oh yeah. You know, and that's exactly what my calling is. It's not the wrangling. Like the wrangling is just, it's a hobby. It's become my job. But my calling is to help people. I don't know, dude, the wrangling is so cool. Freaking (laughs) awesome. But I can help people through what I do. Like I get an opportunity to get, go places and do things that a lot of people can't do. Yeah. You know, and it's all because of the wrangling, the social media. Like, s- Instagram's a stepping stone for a plan that I have for the rest of my life. You know? Which you're trying to open up a, uh, what were you trying to open? Reptile exhibit. A reptile exhibit. But that's something else that, I, you know, I've been trying to open that up for a while. Yeah. Just a lot of stuff keeps happening, you know. You know, higher power, whatever you want to call it. But my higher power, he has a different plan for me, you know, and he's like, he had to pump the brakes on that. And what do you think that is? What, my plan? Yeah. I need to be out there and I need to be helping people. I need to be sharing my story like with what I'm doing right now, you know? Like the Nick the Wrangler isn't it needs to be Nick Bishop. And I need people to know that that's who I really am and what you see on social media platforms isn't what I want you to always receive. There's a there's a message there and I need to apply I need to apply that message. What's to your message? Do. Now's your chance. Oh yeah. <laughs> okay. Um my thing is this is that basically along the lines of what we're doing right now. We need to open up. We need to be okay with who we are. Because if we're not okay with who we are and what we do and everything that we've been through, it could be the the one thing that will take us out. And with my thing is this suicide. That's the hardest thing that I've ever had to deal with was the thought of suicide. Every time I drove past a bridge, I thought, ooh, what would it be like if I just went like this? You know what I mean? Don't mind him. Thomas is there. Can I grab this? You can do whatever you want. You could, yeah, you can put them up if you want to. So, like, I don't know if you ever experienced that where I'm not sure what kind of struggles that you've been through, but for years and years on end, it doesn't matter where I'm at. I'm thinking about what if I did this. And all those what ifs were, this is how I go out. Well, last, that's, that's literally, last night, I'm on my way. I, was, I went out to go give, my keys, give some keys to a friend. I'm parked, and I'm talking to her for like a split second. These two guys, we're going to get back to the message in a second, but these two guys are racing. Mustang in the front, Z71 truck in the back racing, doing like 90 miles an hour down the street. Dude, tell me the Mustang spun out and hit a curb. The Mustang spun out. (laughs) I knew it. Well, guess what? His friend behind him was in that truck, slammed into the back of him. His friend went out, hit the pillar, and half of him was hanging through the windshield, and another part of him was in the street. And that moment right there was clarity for me. Like, those thoughts. Like, I was numb. It didn't bother me. I called 911, did what I needed to do. But, like, for once in my life, I wasn't sitting there thinking, oh, God, this, I wish I was that guy. You know what I mean? Like, for once, I wasn't thinking, like, he got his way out. Like, I might, you know, have thought that in the past. But for once, I was like, 
it sucks that this happened to this guy, but I wasn't thinking I wish I was that person. And I used to go past accidents all the time and think, God, he's the lucky one. No, I'm the lucky one. Yeah, but why? So because I, I got trauma that I dealt with, and stuff that I've done in the past that I need to face. You need to learn meditation and living in the present. I do. I do. I'm saying this is what it was in the past. You know what I mean? Like, this is what, this is what my traumas in childhood was. Like, that was my mindset. It was always like that. I'm not like that now. But I'm yeah. just saying that's how it was for me. Like, I had no friends. My family, my mom and I made the decision to move out. I don't want to ever say she kicked me out because she didn't, you know. I, I suffered from imaginary abandon, ba- abandonment issues, you know. The end of the day, my mom said, you, you got, by the time I was 15 and a half, she's like, you, you got two options. Live by my rules, which is under my roof. Live by your rules, which is out there. I chose my rules, and I was homeless for two years, sleeping on the streets in Oregon, digging in trash cans to survive, doing stuff, surfing couches, doing everything, you know. Um, Damn. So... I didn't, I knew none of this. Yeah, I know we're all over the place. It's crazy, you know. We're no, bouncing around, but yeah, and we we definitely want to try and stay on track. Yeah, but I mean, it's it's just crazy because when you see somebody like yourself, did you have a huge following, right? Uh, and when you see somebody like that, you're like, oh man, their life's always been so great, and it's like, no, the reason why I'm doing so well on so- social media and with my career is because life hasn't been so great. You know, what do you mean? Like, I feel like this is my chance to do something right for the first time. And I'm giving him my all no matter how much it sucks sometimes. And I want to just give up and to hit delete. I don't. What do you mean right this time? What have you what are you what are you not doing right right now? Or what what have you not been doing right, dude? You've been doing uh, relationships with family, friends, dating relationships, work, businesses that I've started, everything. Like I'm one of those guys who I start and then I stop. I start and then I stop. You know, this is something I started and I haven't stopped. And I refuse to stop. I yeah. am desperate to to continue so that I can achieve the greatness that I know that I am designed to create. Does that make any sense? Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I'm just trying to like like dive deeper into it cuz Go ahead. Like the like the thing the way that I see that is like it's hard because a confidence issue usually comes from not showing up for yourself, right? Like, for instance, like, I counted on you to be here today right. or whatever, right? Like, you showed up. Uh, but, you know, sometimes we might tell ourselves, like, oh, I'm going to go do this tomorrow. And then you're like, ah, you know, I got, I'd rather do this or whatever, and you don't show up for yourself. Right, you come up with an excuse. Right, you come up with an excuse. So, uh, you know, really fine-tuning that and trying to figure out exactly how to always show up for yourself mm-hmm. no matter what because you should be your first priority no matter yeah, what. I agree. You know what I mean? Uh, it's like the same thing as an airplane. If you're in an airplane and the airplane gets into any kind of crazy turbulence and the mask drops, the first thing that they tell you is to put a mask on yourself and then help somebody next to you. Mm-hmm. You can't help yeah. other people until no you No matter what, even if it's a child. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. So, uh, I, I respect everything that you're trying to do, man. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it's, it's really good. I mean, if you, if you feel like you got a, a statement and a mission to put out there in the world, you should definitely do it. I mean, that's literally what this was. Right. I, dude, I sat down and uh, smoked a cigar with some people, and they were like, you should tell your story. I was like, okay. Amazon, just fucking started ordering shit. <laughs> now, this cigar was shared with those buddies that I met in San Diego. That was, that was a good time, huh? Yeah. <laughs> that was, that was a great time. time. Um, but... So, when did you start, like, 
really feeling that you were starting like this downward trend then in I, life or just I mean in life I mean obviously you were you were homeless and I mean this was still in Oregon oh, so the downward trend was my life how old were you when you were homeless because you you said you moved from Oregon when you were 18 18 so I was I started being homeless a little before I was 16 years old god damn yeah um I still I I've gone home like twice since then I was gonna say do you have a relationship with your, with your I'm rebuilding it right after this I'm driving up there Really? Surprise my mom and say hi to her. Where do they live, Oregon? Yeah, Washington State. Good. Mm -hmm. So there's one thing that I remember. I I think it was, it might have been Ed Milet that said this. And he was talking about relationships with his mother and whatever. And he was saying that, I'm sure you, if you pay attention to him, he was saying something about how, even though, and I'm I'm just going to, I'm not saying exactly on the words, but he was talking about how, even if his mother is alive for 30 years, doesn't mean he has 30 years left with his mom. He only has the days that he spends with his mother. So if I go and I see my mom once a year, that means I have 30 days with my mom left on earth, not 30 years. And so I had to start looking back and looking into that part of my life and had to make an instant change, you know, because that's the truth. I don't have all this time with my mom. I barely have phone time with my mom because out of sight, out of mind, which is complete bullshit. It shouldn't be like that. You know, one of those issues that I deal, had to deal with all this time was the issue of not having a relationship with her. And all I had to do is pick up the phone and call, you know. And that's something that I've been tra- trying and working really hard to change. And I say trying right now because it's still one of those things that I might forget a week and call. But I'm, I need to re- set a reminder on my phone, hey, it's bullshit that I have to do that. Call your brother. Call your sister. Call your mom. You know, I've been on my own for so long so that out of sight, of, out of mind, it became a permanent excuse for the relationship that I had with my family. So I had to, I, I'm changing that, you know. I needed that. <laughs> like, seriously. I don't, I don't, I mean. I know. Yeah. Damn. I remember a lot of shit about <laughs> some conversations we've had. I mean, it's hard, dude. I don't know. Fuck. Yeah, fuck. <laughs> now I'm like, damn, I should have been paying a lot more attention to people. And yeah, it's not just our parents and stuff like that. You know, that was deep. It's everyone in our life. Anyone who's been impacted by us who feels like they deserve time from us, and I have to say that because they're even our best friends. Like, it's not. It's not one of those things where, and this is what I do a lot. Oh, they're not calling me, so I don't need to call them. No, they deserve our time because at one point in our lives, there was a time where we're always talking, buddy-buddy, hanging out, doing stuff like that, and then all of a sudden it just stops, you know? That out of sight, out of mind is freaking, it's toxic. And uh, we start to, me, not we, I'm the person who starts to torture myself because I have no friends. Nick, why don't you have friends? Oh, because you don't pick up the phone and call them because they don't talk to you? Or every time they call you, they need something. Who cares if they need something? If they need 100 bucks, give them the 100 bucks and tell them to go or, or whatever, you know? But be there for your friends because the little bit of time that you have on their phone could be the last time that you have on the phone with them. That guy in the truck who crashed and died last night, you know? Like, you never know if that's your friend or your family or you. I did. I just. I just didn't expect this, man. Yeah. 
You're gonna be excited to read my book. Well, no, it is. Well, it's hard because I've been through a lot of shit, like a lot of the shit that you're talking about. You know, like my, I mean, I literally was with my best friend three three hours before he killed himself. Mm-hmm. I found him two minutes after, like, and dude, it's just like every key point that you're hitting is like resonating with every single bit of my life, and I guarantee you a, a ton of people that are 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 gonna watch this with them too. And that's what I'm hopeful for. Because like I was saying, like our stories isn't our stories, it's theirs. What do you mean? Because when I say it that way, I know it sounds weird, right? No, I just want, I mean, it does sound a little weird. But, but I wanna my story, I live this life for other people to learn from it. And how the heck are they not, how are they going to learn from, from my trials and tribulations and my overcomings if I don't share it? Like, I didn't live this life, like it's a gift that I was able to live this freaking life of constant rock bottoms. I feel like that's kind of what you're doing though through animals like yeah but they don't know thomas probably does he's how long have you been following me yeah and he had no idea you know he said he a couple years Dog, i've known you for like 15 years i had no idea exactly (laughs) so that's my point people are gonna learn to yeah but listen to me it's not always about dude let me explain go ahead Let let me give you an example I saw a video of, uh, dude, I don't know what kind of snake it was, but you were in the cowboy hat and it was biting you the everywhere. anaconda. Okay, it was an anaconda. Right. For that three minutes or two minutes or seconds. however long it was, I watched that no, anaconda. I know how you are in dude, bed. but I had a smile on my face. <laughs> I showed that video to you today, right? And, dude, I mean, I watched it again. And the entire time I was watching that video, I had a huge smile on my face. I show it to all my friends. Mm-hmm. I think it's cool as fuck. Yeah, it he is. was smiling. Everybody that everybody that I show it to has a smile on their face. Mm-hmm. So although you might not like be able to show them your struggle, you're still giving a lot of joy to people right. because they're doing something that they would never imagine. Dude, think about the trip that we took together. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is like a life changing experience for oh, me. Yeah, so although that you might you you might not feel that you are you know, giving this knowledge to people, mm-hmm. you shouldn't beat yourself up by any fucking means right. because you're giving a lot of people joy throughout their day. When they see, I know it kind of sucks for you, but you getting bit in the face by a snake. Like the video I posted today. Yeah, dude, like, it's hilarious. Yeah, it, it is hilarious. And I don't want to steer away from what I'm doing. I want to advance in what I'm doing and continue to do it and do it more. And I'm not saying I want to sit there and preach it in between every other post. It's you know, my story, I just want to be transparent for the people who are paying attention. Because there's a lot of people who just, they're followers, and I don't count my followers. Yeah, I might I have a half a million followers right now, but I might only have 100 fans. Yeah, Those are the people that I'm worried about. Those are the people that I feel like need to know me for who the heck I am. Because it's important. Mm. You know, if you're going to be a fan of someone and support them, or maybe one day I put a link up in my bio and say, hey, I need donations because we're going to raise money to build a sanctuary. I need them to know who the heck they're donating to versus. Yeah, that's true. You know, it's, it's, it is important to me. You know, and I'm not beating myself over not sharing my story or not beating myself over, hey, Nick, you need to share your story. What I'm doing is I'm taking advantage of every opportunity like this to share my story. So then I have, this is my tool. This podcast is my tool to tell my story. I'm not going to sit there and preach it on my social media and be like, hey, guys, what's up? Blah, blah, blah. I struggle with this. No, that's not my platform. But I want the fans like, oh, Nick was on Bad Beat Podcast. Let's go check him out. Those yeah. 100 people, however, that half a million people are going to get to know who the heck I am. Yeah. Maybe I'll be impactful in their lives, not the half a million people. 
that makes sense. Uh, yeah, dude, it makes sense. I respect it. Mm-hmm. <coughs> so, um, where were we at? Uh, yeah, we, <laughs> you we, need we, someone we, taking notes for we've us. Been, no, we've been, dude. Uh, that's how this always goes. We always we kind of bounce all over the place. We're not like the uh, very scripted podcast. I don't, I don't like doing that. I no, like this to be like no raw, right. just having a conversation, and it is what it is. Um, we were getting to uh, you moving to LA to do the parkour thing, right? So, um, I reached out to that, that team. I sent them that email. Boom, here I am. Scratch up eighty six cents. And some change. And I'm in the Greyhound station and I'm coming to Oregon. I get on the Greyhound first time, never left Oregon ever in my life, never been on a plane, never seen outside of this the surroundings of Portland. And I'm on this bus and I land here in the bus or in LA, 3 a.m. in the morning. Okay, what do I do now? <laughs> I had no plan. Call my mom, Mom, um, do you have friends or family in LA? I'm in LA. You're in LA? Yeah, I'm in LA. <laughs> you know? That's how it was. That's, that's always just like, go, 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 you know, chase, chase, chase this dream, you know, and it tur- I it turned out I had an uncle. I stayed with my uncle for a little bit. And then um, three months later, four months later, I ended up moving into a building in North Hollywood. And that's where I met Taylor. And we started that production company. Damn. Yeah. Shortly after that. So I was training in L.A. I was doing a bunch of stuff, practicing my stunts, doing my parkour, meeting people, training, training, training. I ended up meeting up with Tempest. Were you doing any of, the, like, the animal handling stuff out there? No, I wasn't. So, so, you, so you stopped. Oh, yeah, it all stopped. The animal handling stopped at about 15 years old, um, maybe 14. That's when drugs got introduced into my life, like yeah. 14. And then... Yeah. And you obviously did a bunch of other stuff. And then yeah. when did you start again? So, like I was saying, I was able to scratch some money, got together, got my apartment, and I started accumulating my own personal pets. Right. Well, because I was in the film industry, we were like, oh, we could save budgets. We can bring up the production value of the music videos by bringing snakes and lizards and tarantulas and stuff on set. So then I started doing that. And even though I was in the production company and we were creating these incredible visuals, you know, I started to remember, oh, this is what I really love to do. Well, this time I had the opportunity because I had a real camera, not a shoebox. And I took a friend and we went out. He brought his camera. And I was like, I'm going to go look for a rattlesnake. First time ever, never found a rattlesnake, never knew how to handle one, didn't do nothing. But I knew they were in the mountains. And I was like, all right, get your camera. Let's go to this hill. Let's go find a rattlesnake. Let's go film it. And we did. And then I sat there and I edited this video (laughs) obsessively. I swear. It took me like three weeks to edit to the perfect video that I wanted. Because when I was editing this video, I wasn't editing it like I was watching me. I was editing this video like I was watching Steve. Right. And I wanted to be just like him. I wanted that video to be literally the exact replica of what he was because that's what I wanted to be. And when I felt like it was good enough, I released this video and I posted it and I watched the shit and I just started freaking crying. I'm like, what the heck? But it was joy. Like, I was so happy to see myself go from that child with that shoebox in the backyard catching snakes and talking to nobody to making this video, the first video of my rattle, catching a rattlesnake visible to the public and now like 
I felt like I was on the right track with my life. So a couple of years making these music videos, I eventually just stopped and went full-time snake wrangler mode. Really? Yeah. Was it only snakes? It was, it was only snakes because I didn't have the finances to go travel and go see a bunch of different animals. And that's all that was in California. And that's all there was available. Finding snakes in the wild is a lot easier than finding other animals. Right. Like, I used to catch foxes and grab skunks and catch them and make videos and stuff like that. Like, that's how the name of the Wrangler came along. Because I wasn't afraid to catch anything. I'd sit up in a tree and jump out of a tree and land on a deer's back and wrangle it down to the ground. Fucking but the crazy. thing is, is this. The people don't like that. I call them nature Nazis. Sorry to use that word, but that's what I call them. They don't like that. Do but mean? if I pick up a snake, people aren't going to judge me for picking up a snake and wrangling it. There are some people in the reptile communities that will. But the the average Joe or Jane, they're not going to judge me for handling a snake or a lizard or picking up a tarantula because it's just a snake. I kill it. With, I kill it with a shovel. I smash a spider with a broom. Like to them, they don't care. But if I pick up a skunk or a raccoon or do something, now I'm harassing animals. What? Like even when I I so Have you gotten a lot of hate. Oh my goodness, dude! Really? Yeah. What? Terrible amount of hate. <laughs> it, it comes with the territory, and there's a time where I had to choose to start ignore, stopping. I literally had to choose to ignore it, right? You know, because that hate became a new pain. I would literally, it was painful. It sucked, you know. And there's some, I deal with it every day. I saw it today, you know. Go kill yourself. Do this all the time. I get messages, emails. You should kill yourself. Hope you die. Like I get that shit all the time. Man, fuck those people. Yeah, fuck them. <laughs> so, but it's cool because now I don't look at it like that. You know, I just smile at them, kill them with kindness. Hey, I, yeah. I'm sorry you're having a bad day. I hope that life gets better for you. Literally, if you look at my comments, I say shit like that. But before, I used to be this keyboard warrior, and I wanted to combat and argue with every single thing that was said. And it wasn't hurting them. It was hurting me, and it was taking away this energy that I had, which is limited. And I was giving it to someone who didn't freaking matter. Yeah. You know, so I had to stop doing that shit. So, yeah, the hate, it comes. But now it's just it's like a fly on the wall. Get yeah. Shoo. You know? Dude, that's crazy. I had no idea. Yeah. I mean, I train horses. I know you don't know this, but I train horses. I do. I don't even post that on social like media. Like race horses? Mustangs. What? Yeah, I get Mustangs from the BLM. I gentle them, put saddles on them, and adopt them out. What? But even that, that's harassment. Oh, wait, that's harassment? I'm, I'm, I'm harassing a horse that was in the BLM in line for slaughter? I just saved this horse's life, trained and gave it a second chance, and now it's, you know, living in a permanent home. But no, the other people, they don't understand that. I'm riding a horse and training a horse and putting a saddle on a horse, and it's bucking and kicking, trying to knock me off. But no, what I'm doing is I'm gentling this animal so it can have a second chance. Yeah, good it's for you. It's going to be dog food. You know, so that's another passion and love of mine. But I don't get to show that. You know, you get to see it on my personal in, uh, personal Instagram, but that's it. Right. So um, so I, was in, I was in L.A. Go ahead. No, I was, I was saying, so you were in L.A. Yep, so I was in L.A., and I put the cameras down. And I went full-time the Wrangler mode. That's what I was at the time. And then I came up with Nick the Wrangler later. Um, the last music video we ever did was Chris Brown, Lil Wayne, Tyga, Loyal. These hoes ain't loyal. That song. Oh, really? <laughs> uh-huh. Which will tie into the story that, you know, we should probably get into. Because that's something that changed my life. Big time. You know, it was one of those God's got to wake you to shake you moments. Was it with me? Are you yeah. talking about the story with me? Let's, let's, okay. Before we get into that, <laughs> uh, you moved to Los. Why'd you move to Vegas? So at 19 years old, I decided I had this wonderful. Crazy Is that how old you were? Yeah, 
wonderful, crazy idea. Remember, I was married. I didn't know that either. You didn't. Know, okay, so yeah, this wonderful, crazy idea to get married at night for nineteen in a freaking courthouse. That was a stupid decision. Stupid decision. <laughs> it was so bad that she decided this. She doesn't like men anymore, so she's only with women now. So I must have just destroyed, ruined her. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> but you know that's on her. But no, that's the joke. But no, it was it was it was awesome at the same time. But so what happened is I was struggling in L.A. because I was no longer working in the film industry, so my income was shit, and I wanted to be Nick the Wrangler. Well, I made a lot of sacrifices, and you know forced a lot of other people around me to make a lot of sacrifices too. You know, which I'm truly grateful for, and forever it'll be a living amends to a lot of people in my life because people made a lot of sacrifices, and she was one of them. So we uprooted from L.A. and moved out here because her dad had a house out in Henderson in Anthem. I lived in Anthem in this house, you know, thanks to him, pretty much for free. And yeah. that was my second chance. And then I went on Craigslist and I saw flight lines and I applied for the job and I met you. Everything happens for a reason, Crazy. man. And did I remember you bringing animals to there? You brought like a freaking crocodile. It was nice, a stuffed animal crocodile. <laughs> Yeah, it doesn't matter. It was a long time ago. Yeah, I brought an alligator and I brought a monocle cobras to parties and shit. And I was having put my arm in the alligator's mouth and letting it bite me, doing hood rat shit for my friends. Dude, it's crazy. Yeah, we yeah we had we had some fun. We did so have some fun. You ended up moving back to you moved to Hollywood. Yeah, I went back. So after after we worked together, you moved to Hollywood. Mm-hmm. I came out and saw you once. Right. We went rode up bikes on the beach and all that stuff. We went and partied a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then I came back. And after that is when you called me, asked for some help. I'm going to let you tell this entire story because I don't know what I can and can't say. But look, I don't know what I can and can't say, but guess what? You know, (laughs) it's okay. It's time for everybody to know, you know, my side of the story. And I'm I'm grateful for the opportunity to tell my side of the story because it was a big deal. And it's something that has been a hindrance on my life. And it's a constant battle that I got to face. I mean, it was a really cool fucking story. It is, but when Animal Planet, Netflix, and Discovery Channel go online and look up Nick the Wrangler and they see this thing with Carol Baskin and all this shit, we'll get to that story. That part, we're going to get to it. But they see that and the networks are like, nope. I've literally pin in hand getting ready to sign a contract, multi-million dollar contract. And like they order like 13 episodes and they H&R goes and does this um, social media background check and boom, nope, give me the pin back. It's crazy. I just got a TV show, and we'll get to that. Let's but uh, I had to, you know, had to jump into the story here. Uh, you so you called me one day, mm-hmm. and you were like, "Yo, I need help. I need you. I need help driving." Right. And I was like, "Okay." Mm-hmm. And uh, I know I put you on the spot. Too. Yeah, you were like, "Yo, I need help driving. I need you to come out to LA tomorrow. Meet me. We're gonna jump on a plane. I need you to help me drive." It was Charlotte, North Carolina, or something, right? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. <clears throat> I tried to drive to you. Do you remember that? Yeah. I tried I to drive to you. It was, it was too bad of a storm, mm-hmm. and uh, I had to turn around because <laughs> Mount Pass was closed, and you ended up booking me a flight. So I jumped on a flight, met you at LAX, right? and then we jumped on a plane and flew to Charlotte, mm-hmm. and then you could take it from there. All right. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lead in with the very beginning and then pick up where you left off. Okay. And we're going to go from there. So um, I finished doing that music video. Chris Brown, Lil Wayne, Tyga, um, Andrew Listerman was directing it. Chris Brown was directing it. Um, well, I brought some tigers on set, little cubs. And at the end of the video, Tyga was like, hey, can you get me a tiger? And me being the yes man, even though I didn't know how to get a tiger, I had no idea. I said, told Tyga, I was like, yeah, 
I'll get you a tiger. I, I regretted it instantly. <laughs> I didn't know how to get a tiger. Um, He gave me his number. I text him. I said, hit me up in the morning. If you really want one, I'll find you one. This fool at 7 o'clock in the morning texts me. Hey, when can you get me a tiger? I'm like, ah, man, he really was serious. <laughs> so I was like, all right, I'll find one. Not knowing how to find one, but I already entered the situation where I was like, yo, I said yes to this guy. You know, this could be a good thing for me. I'm desperate and I need money. And he offered me, uh, you know, some amount of money. And I'm going to take it. I'm going to do what I got to do because I, I need to survive. And also, I get an opportunity to look cool because I got Tiger a Tiger. Well, that's not cool now. Um, so I go online. I search, ba 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 ba, And I look up this guy in Indiana. And he had Tiger Cubs for sale for like 500 bucks a pop. And I called Tiger, and I'm like, oh, I reached out to him. He sent me pictures of him holding the tiger and everything. So I called Tiger, I sent him the pictures. And I was like, hey, we found, I found your tiger. And he's like, oh, great. How much? Well, I told him it was this much. He's like, all right, cool. Let's do it. So then uh, he's like, come to my house right now. I'm like, okay, sure. Gave me his address. I jumped in the car, drove to his house in the Oaks, got to his house. Or no, he wasn't living in the Oaks at the time. But I drove to his house. Hopped out, shook some hands, exchanged some cash, go home, I call you. I I only had two people that I could call. You know the other guy. Yeah. Well, he couldn't do it. And I called you, and you're like, fuck yeah, let's do it. <laughs> I was like, yes. So I was even more excited, because, like, I was like, yeah, I get so I got someone to do it with me. It's, it's going to be a long drive, because, like you said, we were flying into Charlotte. Um. It was in that moment where I was already knew that I was in too deep, <laughs> you know, but I knew that I could get away with this. And the only reason why I knew I can get away with this because this is something that was legal. Everything that I did was legal up until a certain point, and I crossed a line, and it was a real physical line that I crossed. I had no idea what I was doing. You were not breaking the law, and I'm going to say this right now. You didn't break the law. I, In the state of... Nevada, ownership of exotic animals is 100% legal. With my Nevada driver's license, I was able to pass all the USDA checks. I was able to legally purchase this animal, have the veterinarian check the animal, do everything. And it was a legit purchase of set, uh, sale of the tiger. So we got to Nevada. You went home. I continued on with my trip, you know. And that's when I, that's when the law was broken. It was when I crossed the state line of Nevada to California. Gotcha. Right. <laughs> so um, we'll just say that. Um, that was a law that was broken. The purchase of the animals was 1% legal. Like, if you read this article that Carol Baskin put up on her 911 animal abuse website, they're like, he falsified documents, they did this, he did that. And I'm like... No, I didn't falsify documents. I used the signature that I use today to sign my checks. I wrote my name. Everything was legit. Like, I have the USDA paperwork. I still have it. Like, it was all legit, you know, but, you know, they want to sell a story. They want to do this and do that. What's, um, you know, I've been dying to ask you, that the house that we went to, was that Tiger King's house? Like, I have no idea. Okay, so that was, I think his name was Tim Stark or something like that. He was on the, he was on the Tiger King. Was he? Yeah, but he's in jail now. 
He lost all of his animals. He's in jail. Oh, really? Yeah. That's And they actually used this story that I'm telling you as one of the pieces of evidence to put him away. Oh, fuck. Yeah. So you're a piece of shit for that. <laughs> no, just checking. No, you did nothing wrong. Um, so anyway, so let's get to the freaking meat. Let's, let's get to my favorite part of this story. So Tiger got caught for having this tiger. We got it to his house. I was the curator. I was taking care of it. And a neighbor saw this tiger in his backyard, took some pictures, sent it over to Fish and Wildlife. Um, and he got caught. Well, I had someone who was helping me out taking care of this tiger. And I told Tiger, look, dude, if you get caught for this thing, <laughs> I want nothing to do with it. Like, you are on your own. You know, his real name's Michael. And I was like, you are on your own. Like, I, I, there's nothing I can do. I, you could pay me to keep the animal at your place, and I'll take care of it. And that's it. And that's, that was the agreement. Well, he got in trouble. Well, he got scared. He didn't get in trouble yet. His Fish and Wildlife showed up. He said, you can't come to my house. You need a warrant. So in that moment, he ended up calling a friend of mine that was helping me when I wasn't available because taking care of a tiger, especially when you don't know what the hell you're doing, you're making it up as you go. It's not easy. Dude. What? Fuck you. <laughs> what? <laughs> The hotel, bro. Huh? Oh, well, that. Yeah, that's right. You want me to tell that, that part of the story? Dude, yeah. I thought you knew what you were doing. Well, I did. I raised <laughs> I'm talking about feeding and nutrition. Oh, my and God. All, the feeding, nutrition, all that stuff. Like, I, I hung around. Di- I could have died. No, you didn't. You wouldn't have died. Yeah, we did. We <laughs> shared a pizza with the tiger in a hotel. It was fun. We got some awesome pictures. I love them. I still got them. Um, we snuck them into a hotel. That was hilarious. Bro, I, I was sleeping, and at, like, 3 in the morning... You went outside and left me alone in the room with the tiger <laughs> as you were dragging a kennel back in. I'm like, what are you doing? Yeah, You're like, was... you told me it was going crazy. I'm like, so you fucking left me in here <laughs> yeah. with the tiger alone? Yeah, he was Yeah, he was, He was. was being a naughty little cat. He was trying to bite me and being possessive over the bed and wasn't letting me in the bed. So I was like, dude, you're, you're going in the kennel. So I put him in the kennel. Um, what I did know about tigers is that you know i had experience being around them, yeah, understanding, no, their, understanding their behaviors and stuff like that but when it came to taking care of one yeah i knew jack like full time yeah i i didn't know i had a, I, I had to learn as i went through thanks to google you know i learned <laughs> everything from google you can learn anything on youtube trial and error right but it was fine he was very healthy he he was he was up to weight everything was perfect so um anyway tiger got busted he called up my friend my friend showed up they threw this tiger, this, and I'm only telling this part of the story like I know it now, but at the moment I didn't know it. But just to paint the picture and get to the point is he threw the tiger in his truck. This guy took the tiger to his house all the way to Ventura County. So he drove it all the way from Calabasas to Ventura, which is like an hour and 20-minute drive. Well, he had the tiger at his house. And then all of a sudden, I get a call from Agent Jacob Coombs. Fish and Wildlife, California. I still remember it like it was today, yesterday. He called me. He's like, hey, I understand. There's a tiger. Um, we saw it. We got a picture, a very disturbing picture of a tiger in someone's backyard in Ventura, California. We went to investigate. We have the guy in custody right now. Um, we need you to get here ASAP. We need to find this tiger. We need to find it now. Or some people are going to jail. So I had a, I had a choice. Pretend that I did, had no idea what the heck was going on or show up and do the right thing. I'm scared shitless. Freaking hop in the car, my wife at the time, 
jump in the car, fly. I'm flying through traffic. I get to Ventura in like an hour. And I show up, and I'm, man. So scared. Bulletproof vests, ARs, rifles. What? Everywhere. People walking around. DA. It was intense. At his house? Yes. Had him in handcuffs, sitting on a chair or something in his house. And they're like, Nick, we need to find this tiger. We need to find it right now. Or someone, or you're going to go to jail. Well, I'm like, well, I'm already fucked now. I just showed up and I admitted to being involved with this whole freaking yeah. tiger situation. And so I was like, can you just give me a moment with him and I'll talk to him? He's like, no, we can't leave him. I said, no, if you want to find this tiger, you need me to talk to, you need me to go talk to him alone. And I'm, I'm talking to these guys like this. And they're like, okay, good. We'll be outside. We got people in the back. The whole house was freaking surrounded. Turns out that this guy, I'm not going to say his name. I mean, he's all on the record, but I just don't need to say it's not yeah. relevant. So this guy, he ended up like sedating this tiger and throwing it over like a 15-foot fence in his backyard. And some guys picked it up in a van and drove it away. What? The neighbors ended up seeing this. And they took pictures, and they were showing me pictures of a tiger in his backyard and shit. And I'm like, oh, God, okay, this is the, for real. Okay, got it. This is the one, you know. I had no idea that it left from Tiger's house. I just knew this was the tiger that they were talking right. about. And so I talked to him, and finally he's like, okay, this is where it's at. So I go to the officer, and I'm like, the agent, and I said, okay. He said that he's going to tell you where it's at. It's at this place. I have no idea who these people are or what this place is. I've never met them in my life. I didn't even know they exist. But this is where they're at. So they go to this place. And in a freaking barn, and I I hate to admit it because I, it's my responsibility, but in a barn, in a dog kennel, this tiger's sitting in the barn in the dark. And it was a place called Hollywood Animals. Um, They have tigers. They have lions, a bunch of exotic animals. They provide exotic animals for the film industry, but they had this animal hidden. I don't know why it was hidden. Maybe they needed like legal documentation of the animal or they knew that it was, in, they were pursuing it. I'm not sure. I never looked into it cause I didn't care. They said, okay, they went there. They found the, the tiger. <coughs> and, um, this was like that night. They let me go that night, drive home. I thought I was going to jail. The next morning, Jacob calls me, Nick, we have the tiger. We need you to come back to Ventura, and we need you to sign some papers. If you don't sign these papers, the tiger is going to be euthanized, and that's that. We need you to sign these papers. And here I am, scared shitless. I drive back to Ventura. I'm like, I'm going to jail. I'm going to jail. But the right thing, do the right thing. Do the right thing, Nick. You know, so I drove there by myself with my wife because I knew I'm going to jail. I was like, you don't need to be here if I'm right. going to jail. I was like, do the right thing. So I... <laughs> Sweating bullets all the way there. I finally show up, and I'm doing circles around the... <laughs> I am doing circles around the Fish and Wildlife Shelter. Keeping them on their toes, because I felt like if I stop driving, if I tell them what I'm driving or anything like that, they're going to come out, guns blazing. They're gonna was take, it that big of a deal? It was a huge deal. It was a huge deal. My heart's racing right now, just reliving the moment through, you know, telling the story. Did you go inside? Eventually, like, Nick, you're not going to go to jail. I said, I don't care. Um... I was trying to come up with all the excuses and I was buying myself time because I was scared to go to jail. And he's like, you're not going to go to jail. You're not going to go to jail. And I'm like, I'm going to go to jail. Why did, would you tell me to come here? You know? So anyways, I finally got in there. I finally got the courage to just go in there and do the right thing. 
So I signed these papers. Before I signed the papers, he's like, Nick, what you're signing right here is you're admitting that you are the owner of this animal because nobody will take responsibility for this animal. Tyga is denying it. Your friend's denying it. We need someone to admit to this tiger being theirs. And in order for them, in order for them to legally take this animal, put it in a sanctuary, we need you to sign this paper. But also, you're admitting to being the owner of this, and this is going to turn into a big situation, and you're going to probably go to jail. So, I was like, I brought this animal into the situation. It doesn't deserve to die. Right. I'm going to sign the damn paper. So, I signed it, and instantly, <laughs> game on. Do they ended up taking the tiger to wildlife. Tigers and wild, uh, lions, tigers, and bears in Alpine, California. He's still there. Really? They changed his name to Maverick. He's alive. He's well. Um, he's living a wonderful life. But from that moment of signing that piece of paper, the investigation began. Did you go to jail? Did not go to jail. You didn't go to jail? No. For five years. So I moved from California. I lived in California. They met with me, talked to me one time. Then I moved to Florida. And I started this construction business. I was doing construction, carpentry, all this yep. stuff, remodeling. And I'm working. For five friggin' years, all they did is came and met with me, and they asked me to tell the story over and over and over again. And in this article that's online, Nick changed the story. He he was a liar, basically. It made me look like a liar. Well, what do you expect when you come and interview someone once a year for five years? There's going to be things that are left out. There's going to be things that I was afraid to say in the beginning that now I'm more comfortable saying it because I'm building a relationship with you guys. So yeah. I'm more comfortable telling you new shit. You know what I mean? So they're like, you change the story, you change the story, you're a liar, blah, 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 blah. This is the article. It makes me look terrible. But it's okay. You know, it is what it is. So for five years, Carol Baskin's bothering the judge, the district attorney, or whoever that is, prosecutor, whatever, it's bothering them for five years. And I'm getting off of this job site. And I was like, I was beat. I was exhausted. I was like, I'm going home early. How the heck did this freaking... People know I was coming home early. I have no idea. I got home like four hours early, and I showed up to the house instantly. Unmarked cars, U.S. fishing, U.S. federal marshals, bulletproof vests, guns out. Nicholas Bishop, is that you? We have a warrant for your arrest. And I'm like, yeah, it's me. What the heck is this warrant for? I totally forgot about this tiger thing at right. this point. It's five years. I was like, what the heck am I going to jail for? Why, what, or why do there's a warrant for me? And the officer was super cool. I'm super grateful that it was him doing the the arrest because he's like, I'm not going to put you in cuffs in front of your family. I was dating a new girl at the time. He's like, I'm not going to put you in cuffs in front of your family, your friends, girlfriend, whatever. Like, just go inside. I asked him, can I go and change because I'm covered in sweat and spilth from work and everything. He's like, dude, if you come out with your dog or firearm, we're just shooting you. We're going to shoot your dog and we're going to shoot you. But go inside. You can change and get comfortable. And then he did. He let me write my girlfriend's phone number down on a piece of paper, folded it up, put it in my pocket. Got in the back of the truck. He drove me around the corner. They shackled my wrists, shackled my ankles, then shackled my wrists to my ankles and put a shackle around my waist, and I was bound. Right. And then they took me in. And that's when it all started, and they showed me the paper while they like while I was in the back of the truck, and it was like, this is what it is. We just got this warrant like 11 hours ago, and we were ordered to pursue this warrant instantly by the judge. It needed to be done ASAP. There was no waiting. Like, it was that quick. They didn't even know this existed until 11 hours ago. <laughs> now I'm in the back of their truck in shackles. So um, during that time, 2000, 
2016, July 6th, um, this, this person I call my little brother. Okay, and we're going to go two years before I got arrested. And this is why I'm backtracking because it's very important. Um, my little, I call my little brother. Okay, he died in a car accident. Okay, very, very, it was fucking terrible. Okay, died in a car, car accident, instant death. Well, during those three years I was in Florida, man, I was at the bottom, the bottom of a bottle every freaking night. You know, I needed, I needed help. So my little brother died and I had a choice to either stay at the bottom of that bottle or go get help. So that freaking day, I decided to walk into like an AA room. I was like, instead of drinking myself till I die, because I was so depressed, I was sad. I was like, I walked into AA. So I was in AA for two years, sober, working the program, helping people, speaking to people, helping helping myself. And there's a lot of people in those rooms that were watching me grow and turn into a new version of myself. Well, I didn't know how who these people were or how powerful they were. Because when I was in going to court for the very first time. For the tiger incident. For the tiger incident. I look, <laughs> oh my God, this is the most beautiful thing I ever saw. I look in the back of the courtroom. We got paparazzi. We got people recording things, people taking notes. The full back two rows is full <laughs> of all the people that were in my life in AA supporting me. Wow. They all put together character letter, witness letters about me. And I remember this guy, Rob. He was like ex-drug lord, did all this stuff. Like he should have never done. And he got, he got away with it. He did a lot of time. And he's like, I will never in my life step foot in a courtroom. Ever, ever. He would always talk about it when he was telling a story. Fuck the cops, fuck this, blah, 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 because he did a lot of things and got affected by the law. And he's like, I'll never do it. But I remember seeing him sitting there with the legs crossed, full suit, looking nice, clean shaved, sitting in there, smiling at me and just, you know, chilling, looking at me, supporting me. So this guy, <laughs> like this is, these are these people, right? And I was talking and I look back and I instantly feel good. No matter though, there I'm facing five years federal time, prison. Was Tega and uh, that other dude in the courtroom with you or no? No, it was just you. No, because I'm the one who signed the paper. They didn't. No one got in trouble. So what were the charges? The charges were knowingly trafficking a prohibited wildlife species. What the fuck? Federal time, five years mi- max um, minimum. So I'm get my I'm in the court, and the judge is like. No bail, no bond, flight risk. What? You have a hearing in about six, five to six months for trial. Sit there and wait. So I look up at the judge. I get, I'm feeling good because I got my support behind me. Um, I look up at the judge, and I'm being a smartass. I said, is there any way you can see me sooner? And the judge literally smirked. He snickered. And he looked at me, he's like, if you think that you could change my mind in three days, I'll see you in three days. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> that was it. Sorry, that was loud as fuck. But that's what it was. <laughs> Boom. Literally, in three days, I'm calling, you know, the girlfriend at the time. They're all losing sleep. Dealing with everybody in the AA rooms. There's people in those rooms. <laughs> change change his mind about, like, what, like how do you change his I mind? I don't know. He's just, like, basically being a smart-ass back to me. If you think I, you're being sentenced right now. Your flight risk, no bail, 
no bond. If you think that you can come back to my courtroom and change my mind and give you bail and let you out into the world again, you're fucking crazy, basically. <laughs> but go ahead. Try. So, um, man, people are literally losing sleep in these AA rooms, these people. Some of them are very powerful, and I did not know. And to this day, I still don't know which one it was. So what they do? So I show up to court a few days later, <laughs> and the judge is like, I don't know how you did it. Check this out. The flight risk was lifted, and I got a bail, $150,000 bail. So you put down like what, 15 grand? 15 grand, but check this out. Not only was that bail refundable, but it was refundable with interest. <laughs> what? I don't know how the hell. Refundable with interest. I swear to God, someone in that room knew the judge, took him to lunch that night. I swear. This is, there's no refundable way. Refundable with interest? Yes. So I got back more than $15,000. That's crazy. Insane, right? I don't think I've ever heard of that. So there's another thing you've never heard of. So that day, you know, you're supposed to go, sign some papers, go back to jail. They release you from prison. Right. Well, the judge released me from the courtroom. And I'm in a federal jumpsuit, released from the courtroom, and I'm walking back into the prison. Why do I feel like you told me this before? I might have. What do you think these guards are going to think? Someone <laughs> in a jumpsuit on prison property. Ah, oh, scapey. Boom. Instant. Oh, my God, Attack it was a nightmare. You? Guns drawn on me and shit. I'm with my girlfriend. She's walking me back because she just left the courtroom. I'm in a freaking jumpsuit. Why would they do that? I have no idea. So the guard's like, I've been working here for 32 years, and the judges, I've never seen anything like this in my entire life. Ever. <laughs> never in my life. So anyway, blah, blah, blah. I give him the jumpsuit. to get my belongings. We leave. Then we get a call, and they're like, we need you to be in, a, in California for a hearing because the, the charges began in California. We need you to get to California in 72 hours. The hell? I don't have money for a flight. Just everybody scrambled the last $15,000 that they freaking had to get me out of bail. I didn't even have that money. And literally, they're trying to jam me up because everybody's unhappy that I just got released. Carol Baskin's pissed. Everybody's mad. The prosecutor's mad. They're like, what the hell? Everybody's pissed off. So you got 72 hours to get to L.A. So somehow for like 80 bucks, we were able to book two flight tickets from my girlfriend and I to California. I show up to court, blah, 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 boom. I go back to Florida. Once again, need to be back to court in a week. What? And this is how it was, back and forth, back and forth for weeks. And I feel like they were trying to jam me up. Um, I sat down. I talked to him. I told him my story. I did everything. I told the honest truth without being a snitch. I told him my part of the story, you know. Every, everything was already known, you know. I was like, this is the story. This is my story. I'm going to tell it. And, and I made it very clear. I made sure that everything went back to the moment when I did it for the animal and not me. Because that was what was important, and this is the reason why I'm in this situation, because I was willing to go to jail and willing to face five fed time and throw everything away because I didn't want this animal to get euthanized. So what ended up happening? So check this out. This is insane. So I'm going to my sentencing. The sentence what I was getting... It was a wonderful five years federal time. I was about to get it. Right. And I'm walking. I get on a flight. I go to L.A. This guy named Ryan, old manager of mine, picked me up, drove me to the courthouse, and I was supposed to meet my attorney 
So I go through the metal detectors. I get there, and I'm sitting in front of the doors getting ready to walk in. I call my attorney, and this is my sentencing date. That day I was supposed to get put in handcuffs and taken away. That day. So I call um, my attorney. He answers the phone, and I'm like, where are you at? You're late. I'm freaking out. What do I do? And he's like, Nick, you're not going to believe this. I'm like, what? For some reason, somehow, some way, and I don't know why, No, there's no information on this at all, but the prosecutor, the one who wanted to put you in jail and throw you away, who was literally like nailing tooth, I don't care what he has to say, lock him up, wrote to the judge to drop the case and drop all charges. So all charges got dropped against you. All the charges got dropped against me. That's good. The day of my sentencing, like crazy, right? Man, could have saved you a flight from Florida, though. Dude. <laughs> that's good, though. Yeah, that, that's so that that all that stuff, it was happening. It was done, just like that. So Go you on. haven't heard from about it since? I haven't heard about it from well, nothing, nothing since at all. Perfect. We've no been, issues. Yeah, no issues. And this was a while ago. I mean, like six years ago, seven yeah. years ago, maybe eight. Shit, I don't even know. Got to look it up online. But um, uh, yeah. So anyway, that's that's what happened. You know, I'm glad you didn't get drugged into it. And I made sure I was like, look, these are the names on the list. I'm be honest, and your name was on the list. Said this guy had nothing to do with it. He had no idea. Yeah, he, I remember the phone call. I called you. I know you did. Yeah. I was like, I, but I, I'm I'm that friend that I'm gonna <laughs> appreciate. I'm gonna but hey, dude, I had to put you on the list. I'm not that kind of friend who's not gonna you know tell my friend hey, but I'm letting you know you're not in trouble. And they, I said that in order for me to tell my part of this, you need to leave this this person, this person, this person out. Otherwise, you're not going to get shit from me. Yeah. That was part of my deal. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they did. And they. I don't have to deal with that as much as you did. Well, yeah, you wouldn't have gotten in trouble either, but I didn't want them come knocking on your door to ask you questions about me. They promised not to do that, so they didn't. Yeah. You know, you would not never would have gotten in trouble putting handcuffs, but they would have questioned you, and they promised not to question me. And, and it was, dude, this whole story is all over, like, TMZ and yeah. all these pages. Yeah, I mean, they actually put me on something called Project Jungle Book, which is silly. Because on this Project Jungle Book, it's like the most wanted most wanted wildlife traffickers in the world. Guys getting caught with 3,000 pounds of ivory. And here I am, dude, who just gave, got Tiger a tiger. I'm on that list. What? Yeah. It, they, they, they were trying to make an example out of me, which is completely silly. Because the charges for trafficking a tiger is the same charge as trafficking a freaking I'm a, I'm a gonna, turtle. I'm going I'm to put the TMZ link on the... Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> whatever it's cool. I'm just kidding. No, it's, it's, whatever um, it is, what it is, you know, it's all. We uh, we are kind of running out of time now, yeah, so I kind of want to jump into some of the projects that you're working on right now. Oh yeah, shoot, um, yeah, I'd love to. And one of them being that sanctuary, and then what was what was uh, what was her name? Aurora. Aurora. Yeah. Let's bring Aurora into the yeah. into the show too. So one of the things that I'm working on right now is I got an opportunity to have my own TV show, <laughs> which the Tiger thing was painful. Because the producer fought nail and tooth, and the networks kept saying no, 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 no. But I got the show anyway. Um, but I'm actually doing charity builds all over the world. Oh wow! So I was just in Mexico, not this trip, but the trip before in Mexico, doing a charity build and helping the communities and stuff. So we're going to go to Honduras in January, and we're going to travel the world and do a bunch of stuff and help build parts of the community up and do something positive in the world. So that's an opportunity I got. Right now, so that's one thing that I'm working on. Oh, yeah. Oh, got it. Thanks, Thomas. 
So what I'm holding right here, it's a reticulated python. I mean, as you may have heard earlier, these things can reach literally maximum lengths, lengths of up to 30 feet long. Average is 18 to 22 feet. It's holding on. The table pretty Yeah, tight. she's holding on. But super chill. Thomas did a good job keeping her tame. You know, you, usually the snakes that I handle want to bite me. I'm not too worried about getting whacked in the face by this one, which is awesome because we don't need that on camera right now. Um, super chill, non-venomous. These things are constrictors. And, you know, they're from Thailand. They're pretty super chill snakes. There you go. Right oh. oh, yeah. What? Lift her head up. Come on, you got it. Boom. Just like a puppy. God. There you go. Yeah. Yeah, but you saw her bolt towards me like. No, it's because she's <laughs> she's trying to get she's trying to get leverage and you know, these snakes are even though they're a big snake and get extremely long, these snakes <laughs> I would like to put them on the list as like s- semi-arboreal snakes. They're incredible climbers. Like in Incredible climbers. I'm sure you've seen videos online of them wrapping around pillars and trees and just going up. But, I mean, you this know, is I, the snake. i got to ask you really quick. The whole you getting bit by the snakes and stuff, like, you obviously know that's going to happen, right? Yeah. That's I do know it's going to happen. And on top of that, sometimes there's a trick to it, too. Because I get paid from social media. I get paid for my views. Facebook, I get paid for every like that I get. You right. know, I get paid for the videos I post. I get paid for everything. And the videos that get me paid are the videos of me getting bit, not the videos of me educating. Right. So in the midst of my educational videos, I have to do something to get bit. Like that Anaconda video that's literally listed as like one of the top five most viral videos of 2022. Yeah, it's fucking crazy. I just posted it like four weeks ago. You know, even on my account, it's like 80 million views right now. Really? Yeah, but across the platforms, I think it's like probably over a billion and a half views. So, um, dude, anyway, what I'm saying is, is with that anaconda, my friend didn't think that snake can bite and there's tricks to get any snake to bite. I would never do it to this one because it's his personal pet. My friend's a breeder, so it was okay. But I mean, there's our tricks to get a snake to bite. And my friend was saying, dude, this won't bite. Go hold the mail. I'll show you the whole video later. You can actually add it to the podcast. But he's like, it doesn't bite. And I was like, nah, it'll bite. I'll get it to bite. And I literally got that snake to bite in a matter of seconds. But, um, yeah, there are tricks to it, and I do need – there are times when I purposely get bit, but that video of me getting bit by the python in the face that I posted today was not purpose. Before that, you even see my face was leaking already. I got bit in an accident. <laughs> in Do me face. a favor. What? Just, like, turn her head. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, man. Yeah. Like, I have no problem grabbing her, but yeah, – You didn't wear a diaper. It's – Oh. I'm going to poop your pants. But, yeah, so, yeah, I, I got to get bit. Just you – know, it's – it's a trick to the trade, unfortunately, but it's what helped me get to grow. And wild animals is my specialty, so wild animals are naturally just going to bite. So anyway, um, one so thing good. that I'm focused on. Tell, right. tell me tell me about the uh, the habitat. Yeah, so I've been working really, really hard to put together a reptile zoo. And it's so funny, Thomas said that this is a passion of his too, so it's definitely something I want to talk to him about. But um, putting up the large, putting together the largest reptile zoo in the friggin' world, like that's a passion of mine, and I've been working on that for the last year and a half. And um, I have a lot of people in that I have a lot of people that are ready to be involved in it, and it's going to be one of the most incredible things that the that we we need it. You know, it's going to be an interactive 
wildlife zoo so people can come and interact with animals, you know, tame ones like this one. And you're planning on doing that in Southern California, right? Well, I was thinking Southern California, but there's other locations that we could do. It's just two things, where the money's at and where the people are at. Right. Well, what's that? Yeah. The breeding? Oh, no. So the biggest thing is where the money at, where the money's at and where our traffic is going to come from. And um, that's where it's at. Well, in the midst of, like, planning for this reptile zoo, my house burned down, so I had to, like, pump the brakes on that. So um, now I'm recovering from that. <laughs> you okay over there? Yeah, I'm good. We're good. You're chilling? Yeah, we're good. Yeah, so anyway, that's, what's, that's, that's one of the plans that I have. Other than that TV show, um, 2023, guarantee we're going to have a Nick the Wrangler show. I'm going to just say it like that. That's awesome. You know, I don't want to get anyone's hopes up or anything like that, but... We're working on something. We're gonna have it. we're gonna have a show, for sure. Yeah, <laughs> this is hilarious watching. Yep, right I'm now. good. Just give me you're a second. Come on, ask some questions. Next, got? next to the next to the neck is a little uncomfortable. Oh, you're chilling. I'm just trying to talk. Okay, I don't fill like in, that. Fill in I don't the, like that. Fill in the blanks here. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, yeah. dude. No, you're chilling. Dude. You're chilling. I mean, how are you so comfortable around these things? See, so check this out. People fear people fear what they don't understand. Right? So, like, you standing on the top of... Do you remember your first time jumping off of a cliff into the water? Yeah. You're scared shitless, right? Yeah. Eventually, you go to that same cliff, and you you don't even think about jumping, and you're like, oh, telling your friends, it's okay, it's okay, you can jump, it's fine, it's safe, right? But in the moment, there's a moment where you were afraid to jump because you didn't understand what was What was going to happen. Exactly. Gotcha. So the same thing with reptiles or just animals in general. Like, it's our natural instinct as a human being to be afraid of the things that we don't understand. And so through experience, through time and handling and spending time with these animals, like that fear is gone. And I understand them. Even when they bite me, I know they're only biting me because they're being defensive. These animals are not aggressive. They are never aggressive. They're only being defensive. When I pick up a snake and I poke it in the rib cage to get it to bite, it's like, ouch. If I poke you in the ribs, you're going to turn around and smack me in the face. Yeah. If I do it enough, it's the same exact thing. You're defending yourself. It's like there's a... There's a large line between aggression and being defensive, and that's my biggest message. Even though these animals are biting me, and but that's like that's what I'm saying is like, how do you get bit and you're still okay with it? Because I understand that the animal's not biting me out of, it, they're not biting me in an aggressive manner. They're biting me because they they need they feel the need to defend themselves because it's naturally and it's a natural instinct of their, of the themselves to defend themselves. You know, if you're walking through the mall. When someone just walks up out of nowhere and punches you in the face, that's aggressive. Right. But if you punch them back, that's defensive. These snakes are not going to, if you're walking, I've literally been in the wild so then, and I've walked past rattlesnakes and they didn't bite me because they didn't feel like they needed to defend themselves. But the second I picked it up, it's striking, rattling its tail because it's like, shit, I, I, I need to defend myself. Because to them, I'm a predator. So then how, how do you go about like getting a wild snake and not making like is there certain things that you could do to make yeah. them not be I do. in defense I, mode yeah i have videos where the snake's striking and biting all biting and then i calm it down it's all a matter of how you handle it you need to make them feel comfortable you know same thing sitting across the table with somebody new you know yeah you talk to them at first they might be quiet and talking a little blah 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 but over the time they get to know you and they get to understand you and they open up and they feel comfortable with you well that's the same thing with these animals Eventually, they're going to learn that I'm not food and you're not predator. Right. And they're going to chill out, you know. And 
It happens all the time. Well, dude, my hat's off to you, man. <laughs> I, I could not do this. You're doing it right now. Uh, yeah, but dude, th- this is like a snake that you said like plays with kids, and that made me feel a little bit better oh, about oh, it. Of course. I'll tell you right now, I'm not picking up that tarantula like you did. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Well, just so you know, these tarantula, this this species in general is probably the chillest, most docile species oh, God. in the tarantula species. Check this out right here. Or the tarantula world. This is a very small one. She's super chill. Tiny. They're arboreal species. So you got to be careful because they can leap. Just like that leechianus that you saw. They can leap and they'll be perfectly okay. Is this, that thing a leap? This thing can leap. Yes. And they'll fan their legs out and they'll they'll glide in a way. It won't be a graceful fall, but they won't hurt them, their legs. They'll literally just bounce off the off the ground in the wild. Because there's leaf litter and stuff like that. Right. Down here, this is not leaf litter. It could hurt them. And you don't want to risk hurting a tarantula like this. But I mean, the color is beautiful. Um, you have no idea. When they get older, they explode in color. Their legs turn red. This rump back here just turns like a bright red. The, the carapace here turns green. Like They are blue. It's, so many, it's like a rainbow. Like this is the most highly sought after tarantula species in the in the in the community of keepers, like people who keep tarantulas. And when they are adults, like I looked at this and I, I'm pre I'm ninety percent sure this is a female. And the females are the ones that get that color. It's crazy to think that someone is willing to spend five hundred dollars on a tarantula like this. At this size right here, that's probably like two hundred fifty bucks as a as a female tarantula. This is like two hundred fifty bucks right here. And people enjoy that. You know? I enjoy that. But on top of that, like, they're How are you okay they're freaking. I think they're they're incredible. You know, they they are. And it's just what the thing is is like I was saying is people fear what they don't understand. You got movies, you know. I did. I think a lot of it's the movies. It is. It's a lot of the movies, and even, and I have to admit, and it's a thing that I I need to change. It's my message when I'm handling these animals. It's so hard because I'm thinking viral video, short and sweet. So I don't have enough. I don't give myself enough time to deliver a positive message like I'm doing it right now. But, you know, like people don't understand. Like my message is this. This is it. They're super chill. They're docile. They don't want to hurt you. Even the species that people are like, don't handle them because the bite sucks. Tarantulas don't want to bite at all. they, They don't need to bite. Their their instinct is to flee. Even snakes like this in the wild, their instinct is to flee. So that's kind of what I I want to probably end this on is is if somebody is looking into get into more wrangling or animal handling and going out in the wild. I mean, what kind of advice would you have for somebody that wants to do something like that? First thing is is educate yourself. <laughs> educate yourself a lot. And the first thing you want to educate yourself is on being able to identify the species that you're seeking. Because there's a lot of snakes. Let's say we're in Nevada right now, right? You have the Mojave rattlesnake, and then you have a gopher snake. Well, there's not a lot of people who can tell the difference unless you get close enough to see that it has a rattle and a different shaped head. But to everybody that doesn't understand snakes, a gopher snake's a rattlesnake. Like, Thomas, can you even back me up there? Like, everyone instantly thinks it's a rattlesnake because the pattern on them. Well, if you're going to go out and pick up snakes and you can't identify them properly, you should probably not pick them up, you know? Right. The first thing that you need to do is educate yourself so you know what the heck you're picking up and understanding what you're picking up. 
and then the why you're picking it up, you know? That's literally the first thing. The other thing is, is always have proper tools. Even if you see my videos of me holding a rattlesnake, before that video, I'm using my tongs, I'm using my hooks, I'm handling it. He's got one right there. He's even prepared. Like, here, hand me that. Even with a, a non-venomous snake, you never know what to expect. Even when a snake like this is sleeping in its cage, well, it's awake, it's alert, it's know that you're not a predator, so you don't have to worry about it. But a snake like this in its enclosure, when you wake it up and it's in its comfort you zone, be startled. it'll get startled, and guess what? That, that fight or flight kicks in instantly. It doesn't matter what kind of how tame it is, that fight or flight kicks in. So you go in and you nudge the animal. You let them know, hey, I'm here. And then you can handle them. Um, so in the wild, you want tools like this. And I even handle them in, before my videos. Before I make my videos, there's a lot of handling. I right. tire the snakes out, <laughs> like especially the rattlesnakes. Like I tire them out. I handle them with the hooks. I handle them with the tongs, and then I make my videos. I know it looks like I'm not using tools, but I do use my tools, and I I have one in my Jeep right now. I, I never go without them, and that that's one something that I highly recommend. I don't care if you don't want to touch a rattlesnake or not. You should always be prepared in case you need to move a rattlesnake out of the road or relocate it or it's in th- your path. You know what I mean? Or if you want to move it somewhere where you want to take a picture, use a tool. You know, like, you don't always, I don't go pick up a rattlesnake that's just coiled up and reach for it like I would this snake. Heps. I might look like I do that, but I don't. Right. You know, everything is handled a lot before I make my videos. Have you ever had any, like, serious scares? From yeah, being, I've, been, like- I've been bitten seven times or nine times and venomated seven times. Six <laughs> rattlesnakes, one monocled cobra. Dude, yeah, fuck that. Yeah. Well, uh, I really appreciate you coming on. Um, I appreciate you. Go ahead. Sharing your story. <laughs> Go ahead. Did that? Did did that tarantula make all that? Or yeah. That so so because this is an arboreal species, this species of tarantula they make something we I like to call it the hammock, the tarantula hammock, and that's I mean look at it, it's off the ground, it's suspended off of the ground, and it's hammock like and it's crazy because this is a perfect example right now we get an opportunity to also educate people is they're like oh my god why are you even you thought that why is it in such a small container well even in the wild in the middle of a freaking jungle the jungle this tarantula is only gonna make a hammock about that size in the leaves in the trees between the branches and a hole and that's where they're gonna spend their life they will live in that 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 web unless they get disturbed or you know they have to get they have to relocate but they'll spend their whole entire life living in that hammock that they create and they'll constantly add to it which i like that thomas doesn't remove the webs because there's a lot of people who destroy the web just so they can take them out and handle them and i'm one of those people i'll leave the web because they work really hard for that that's their home that's so cool. in these containers that they live in they actually feel a lot more secure and a lot safer it doesn't matter if you let this tarantula live in this room. It's going to find the corner up there in the room, and it's going to make a hammock, and it's going to live in there, and it's not going to go nowhere. You'll have a pet tarantula living in the corner, and every day you come here, you will yeah, know. Yeah, dude, I kind of want one now. What I'm saying is That's you, cool. you will know it's there. Like, you will never have to worry, oh, where is it at? Oh, my God. No, you'll look up. Oh, yeah, she's chilling right there. Like, That's crazy. this is one cool thing about these species, and they're heavy webbers, and they make incredible webs like that. Damn, that's crazy <laughs> um i'm not gonna buy a tarantula by the way no i, I brought one I for just, you i'm not a gift. uh yeah <laughs> now let's just get you a cool uh, fish. let's get you a cool fish tank 
I uh, I really appreciate you coming out, man, and telling your story and and uh, you know bringing these awesome animals on here. Thank you. Uh, you know, Scales and Tails they uh, they got three locations here in Las yeah. Vegas, so um, shout out to them and big shout out. Uh, if you are not following Nick the Wrangler on social media, I suggest you do. Uh, he's got some really badass videos, and he's got a lot of purpose behind his passion. Uh, you know, he, he loves these animals. So, um, again, thank you for coming on, man. Yeah, dude, we're chilling now. Dang, it's like a puppy now. Make sure you guys are uh, subscribed, and uh, we'll see you next time. Yeah, constantly turning fears into fascinations.